Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, the House returns. The Conservative leader stands up, crosses his arms, throws up his hands and says, everything is broken. Liberal friends got the money. After a five-week break, MPs are back and they have a busy calendar ahead. With health care, pharmacare and warnings of tough economic times, how will the Trudeau government navigate all those issues? Coming up, we will speak with the government House Leader Mark Holland, then get reaction from Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer and the NDP House Leader Peter Julian. Also, we're in a minority parliament. We need to be ready for anything. Is the government getting ready for a possible election call in 2023? Are the Liberals worried about losing NDP support? We will look at the issue. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. MPs got back to work today after rising for the holiday break back in December. The number of people eating at food banks has gone up to 1.5 million and crime is up 32%. So we wonder where all this half trillion dollars of inflationary debt actually went. Now we know. Liberal friends got the money. We've been able to keep investing in Canadians while maintaining the best balance sheet in the G7. We have the lowest debt to GDP ratio, the lowest deficit of all our G7 partners, and we've put that to work to support the Canadians who need it most. I'm not surprised the Conservatives support this approach. They believe in for-profit private health care. But I am surprised with the Prime Minister. Why the flip-flop? I and the Liberal government have always been very, very clear. We stand for a public health system that fully abides by the Canada Health Act. To talk about this and the return of Parliament, we're now joined by the government House Leader Mark Holland. Mr. Holland, nice to see you. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Listen, I want to begin here with what we heard from Mr. Singh. As you know, very much today pushing your government on public health care, concerns about the uh, increased use of private providers, the Prime Minister calling that innovative a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what can we expect when the First Ministers actually meet next week? Well, there's no doubt uh, Canadians uh, expect uh, better health outcomes, uh, and we want to make sure that we're part of that solution. And it's not just about more money. Uh, it has to be about concrete deliverables, uh, about uh, clear metrics that demonstrate that the money uh, that is being invested into health care is actually improving outcomes for Canadians. Uh, and so what you're going to expect in the conversations that are going to happen at the First Minister's meeting, meeting uh, is the opportunity uh, to come together and to talk about the demands that are placed on our health system and the, and, and the needs that are there and our willingness to step forward, but as well our expectation that that money uh, is going to come with clear conditions of, uh, of expanded uh, outcomes. Expanded outcomes, but what about uh, ensuring that this is not a slippery slope towards increased privatization of the healthcare system? Absolutely. You know, it is a core tenant uh, for, uh, for our government. It has been uh, for our party for a very long time that we have public uh, health care. Uh, that when you walk into a hospital, the question that's asked is how you are made better, not how much money you have. Uh, and we need to make sure that we protect the integrity of a public health uh, care system. I think that's a core value, uh, not only for our government, but for Canadians. And that will be a critical part of the conversations, I think, with provinces to make sure uh, that that is adhered to. 
Now, that's what we heard from Mr. Singh, from Mr. Polyev today. Uh, he, he continues to essentially accuse your government of failing Canadians by spending too much, misleading Canadians, he says, about interest rates, uh, doing nothing to get affordability under control. How do you counter that kind of message, bearing in mind that the polls do tell us that more Canadians support the Conservatives right now than they do the Liberals? Well, look, it, it is uh, easy uh, to criticize uh, and to amplify fears and to expand anxiety. But I would say as we're going through the most difficult time uh, that not only our country but the world has gone through, the second, through since the Second World War, uh, history does not look favorably on those that look to amplify fear and sow division. Uh, the reality is uh, that we need leadership right now with concrete solutions and answers and need to keep a level head. Uh, Canada, now this is, uh, Canada is doing much better than most of the world, not only in terms of inflation, with one of the lowest rates of inflation of any of our comparator countries, uh, but also the lowest deficit, the lowest debt to GDP of any uh, country in the G G7, and last year the best, G um, the best growth in terms of gross domestic product. Now the reality is, because we're in a very difficult global climate, being the best isn't good enough. Uh, that still means it's very difficult uh, to pay bills and, and, to, and, to, and to be able to meet your obligations. And that's why we continue to be focused so clearly on affordability. Uh, but pretending that the global problems that are happening don't exist and that Canada somehow is alone in suffering this and try to amplify people's fears and make them feel worse is just downright irresponsible. Now, I only have a minute here, but you, you, you mentioned all those obligations, trying to get life more affordable. You certainly have a lot of the agenda right now. You have health care, as you mentioned. There's pharmacare, energy transition, among others. But you've also been warned about tough economic times ahead. Will finances limit the government's ability to essentially deliver on the prime minister's priorities? Well, look, we've made sure by having the lowest debt-to-GDP ratio of any G7 country, as I mentioned earlier, and the lowest deficit, um, that we continue to have strong fiscal capacity in this country, um, and that Canada has remained uh, incredibly resilient. Uh, we're seeing a record low uh, unemployment rate, uh, where uh, there's uh, the largest female participation in the workforce in Canadian history. Uh, so our economy is strong, it is resilient, and we're going to watch along the way to do things that we've been doing to make sure people don't fall through the cracks. Like, for example, the additional money we put uh, for the GST or the additional dollars that are there uh, for housing. Certainly moving forward with the child care agreement so that, uh, so that we can have uh, what's helping to drive that larger female participation in the workforce. So we want to make sure that, the, that those that are the most vulnerable are not left behind here uh, and that as we f uh, face global tumult, um, that we continue to maintain our globally competitive uh, advantage uh, so that we can uh, ensure that Canada, Canada emerges onto the other side of this stronger than ever and ready to lead. Uh, and I'll tell you, leading in good times is going to feel better than leading in bad times, but we're going to do both. Mark Holland, thank you very much for the time today. Thank you so much. Well, let's turn now to the opposition to get their thoughts on this sitting of the House. Andrew Scheer is the Conservative House Leader. Peter Julian is the House Leader for the NDP. Nice to see both of you again. Welcome back. Thanks very much for having us back. Thanks. Good to be with you. Listen, Mr. Scheer, I'll start with you here because I do want to get your reaction uh, to the kind of pushback that we've heard, the pushback that uh, we're getting from Liberals when your leader says that too much is broken and that the responsibility lies with the Prime Minister. How do you react to that? 
Well, it's no surprise that uh, after eight years of Justin Trudeau mismanaging everything from passport offices to airlines and airports uh, to, uh, to inflation and higher interest rates that Liberals get a little bit sensitive when you talk about how this Prime Minister is responsible for federal issues. He's the federal Prime Minister, he's responsible for federal issues, and those issues are not going well for the vast majority of Canadians. We're seeing record numbers of Canadians being forced to use food banks. Mortgage payments are more than doubling for the average home in large centres across the country. After eight years of Justin Trudeau, Canadians are falling further and further behind. They're paying more for their mortgage. Their paychecks are going, are, are able to buy less and less. And the Liberal message is everything is fine. And, and how dare those Conservatives remind people about the failures that this government is doing? So my reaction is uh, not really surprised, but our party is going to continue to offer concrete solutions on how we can fix things, how we can fix the mess that Justin Trudeau has uh, created for for Canadian families. Well, let me pick up on that because you know people have been saying, okay, it's it's easy to say something's broken. It's harder to come up with a solution. What it's what kind of solutions will you then be focusing on during this sitting to, to drive home that point? Well, we've been focused on making life more affordable for Canadians. The Trudeau Liberals are planning on tripling the carbon tax. That's going to make home heating more expensive. Their inflationary deficits are forcing the Bank of Canada to raise interest rates to, to tackle the inflation that the government caused in the first place. So our message is going to be focused on uh, on, on, on dealing with the inflation crisis, on helping Canadians keep their uh, keep their pantries full, and uh, and 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 fighting the types of policies that make inflation even worse. Uh, in addition to that, we've put forward concrete proposals to deal with the, the rise in violent crime. After eight years of Justin Trudeau, our cities are uh, are experiencing a, a surge in violent crime. Look at Toronto with the almost daily incidents on the TTC where people are being brutally attacked uh, by repeat and dangerous offenders. Justin Trudeau's policies was, was to make bail even easier for those types of criminals to get, meaning they're back on the street. Uh, we're listening to police chiefs across the country. We're listening to premiers across the country who are demanding bail reform to make our cities more safe. So uh, those are the types of concrete solutions. Stamp, uh, stopping the plan to triple the carbon tax, getting those inflationary deficits under control and making our cities more livable and more safe for Canadian families. Mr. Julian, I'll get you in here because if, the, if those are the Conservative priorities, what will the priorities be for the NDP? Uh, well, I, I think the, the Conservatives have indicated through the provinces what they want to do is privatize health care. And, and this is something that the, Mr. Trudeau seems to be implicitly encouraging. Uh, what the NDP, what Jagmeet Singh is fighting for in the House of Commons is more support for Canadians. That, that includes dental care, uh, that according to our confidence uh, and supply agreement that we've pushed uh, the Liberals to put into place dental care for the end of this year, the adoption of the Canada Pharmacare Act, uh, so that we actually start to put in place the provisions for Pharmacare for Canadians. Uh, we also believe there's a housing crisis. It was bad under the Harper government. It's just as bad under the Trudeau government. The housing prices doubled under Harper and doubling again under Mr. Trudeau. Uh, what we actually need is a federal government that steps up to build affordable housing. Uh, and the reality is that that is something that we are pushing hard for the government to do. That the, the reality is both conservative and liberal policies have been very, very similar. And we, we, we know of the erosion over $30 billion that goes to offshore tax havens 
This is something that started under Mr. Harper, continued under Mr. Trudeau. We simply can't afford to make the ultra-rich the priority of the federal government. What we need to do is make investments to ensure we have a good public health care system, not for profit because that costs more and gives an inferior level of care. We need to expand for dental care and pharmacare. We need to ensure that there's affordable housing available for Canadians. Uh, these are the kinds of decisions that uh, leadership should put into place. And this is certainly what Jagmeet Singh has been advocating for I, in I, the House of Commons. I'm wondering, though, Mr. Julian, what is the measure of acceptable? Because, of course, this is a minority government. It, it can st uh, stay in power because of the deal negotiated with the NDP. So what is the, the marker of acceptable when it comes to issues like pharmacare? Care, Medicare, dental care? Uh, it's very clear. It's written in the agreement. It's available to the Canadian public. Dental care put into place for seniors, people with disabilities, and youth under 18 by the end of this year. A Pharmacare Act passed in the House of Commons. And you'll recall just two years ago, I presented on, on behalf of the NDP the Canada Pharmacare Act. Conservatives and Liberals voted against it because they chose to, to side with pharmaceutical companies rather than with regular Canadians. And so that has to be passed by the end of this year. So there, the litmus test is very clear. It's available online to all Canadians. But, but what about, uh, and and what about Medicare, Singh has negotiated. And what about Medicare, though? Because that, I think that is very much top of mind, given that we're yes, basically a week absolutely. away from the meeting with the Premiers. What about yeah. Medicare? Yeah, and, and that is enforcement of the, the Canada Health Act to ensure that services are publicly funded and available to all Canadians. And, and this is something that Conservative Premiers and Mr. Trudeau uh, don't seem to understand. Uh, when you look at the American system, it costs twice as much per person and it leaves tens of millions of Americans out. We don't want to see the same thing happen in Canada. Okay, so so, so a huge ask here. Uh, you know, Mr. Chair, I'll bring you back in here because of course against this is the backdrop of the economic picture painted by the Bank of Canada, uh, the economic advice that the, the Prime Minister and, and his cabinet is getting that we are uh, in store for some tough times. How do you hope the government navigates the demands being placed upon it, not only by the NDP, but also by provinces, but also dealing with the economic reality that Canada is facing? Well, the economic reality is that the Bank of Canada, ec uh, economists uh, across the country, even former finance minister Bill Morneau is now admitting that it's the liberal spending that's causing inflation in the first place. They're all saying now that, uh, by and large, inflation is a domestic phenomenon, and they're pointing to all the spending that had nothing to do with the pandemic. You know, we're talking about the $15 billion that went to high-priced consultants, including over $100 million that went to a very liberal-friendly firm, McKinsey. Uh, Dominic Barton, the, the former boss of that firm, very, very close ties, personal buddies with Justin and Trudeau and Christia Freeland. Uh, they were big winners. They got lots and lots of that spending. Big bonuses to through the wage subsidy to profitable corporations that gave out bonuses to their executives and board members. That's the type of spending that's causing inflation in the first place. So if we're going to tackle this crisis as parliamentarians, we've got to get a grip on all that spending that's causing the problem in the first place. And when politicians like uh, the NDP and Liberals say that the answer to the inflation that's caused by the spending is to have even more spending, it's a little bit like offering a very thirsty person a glass of seawater. It might look appealing, but when you drink it, it makes the situation worse. And that's exactly what we're going to see with all this new spending that the Liberals at the NDP are demanding the Liberals engage in. These, okay, these Mr. Are actually supports, minute, you have one minute here, Mr. Julian. These are supports that go to regular Canadians, and this shows how, how uh, disconnected 
Conservatives and Liberals have been over the past few decades, that they've allowed tens of billions of dollars go to the ultra-rich to overseas tax havens, uh, uh, oil and gas CEOs, rather than spending the money on seniors and people with disabilities and families right across this country. This is why we need to ensure that the ultra-rich pay what they owe Canadians and that we actually invest that to help Canadians. I, I haven't heard a single person in my riding say, or oh, we don't believe in dental care. They believe it's, it's high time that regular families actually could access dental care. They could actually uh, access PharmaCare because I have constituents that are paying $1,000 a month for heart medication. These are all things that make a difference and it helps, to, uh, helps businesses compete as well because they're not having to pay for, for medical plans for their employees. So it's win-win-win. So this is business? the kind of thing that, that actually makes a difference for Canadians. Final point, we've seen with greedflation, how uh, grocery store CEOs have inflated prices. And this is something that Conservatives have not said one word about. Uh, the greedflation that has forced uh, regular families to have to pay Quickly, so much please. more for their groceries. Okay, well, I'm sorry, out of time, but of course, we have a whole sitting to talk through. So for tonight, uh, Andrew Shear, Peter Julian, thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Thank you. We're in a minority parliament, and we need to be ready for anything. So stay close to your communities and keep bringing their voices to parliament. And let's continue to be the voice for Canadians. Let's continue to fight for families. Let's continue to fight for patients and healthcare workers. Let's continue to fight for facts and science and truth. Let's continue to fight for people who still feel left behind. My friends, let's continue doing this work for Canadians. Well, that was the Prime Minister from last week addressing members of his caucus. A battle-ready message as Parliament returns, always remembering this is a minority government propped only by a formal agreement between the Liberals and the NDP. To talk about this, we are now joined by parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star, Tonda McCharles, and Joël Denis Bellevance, who is the Ottawa bureau chief for La Presse. It's been so long. Nice to see both of you. In person. <laughs> in person and after the winter break. Uh, you know, Tonda, going into actually the winter break, there, 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 there was a speculation, the, the talk that 2023 might actually become an election year. But so much has happened since Parliament left mm -hmm. and has returned. Uh, bad economic forecasts, uh, challenges uh, that the Trudeau Liberals are, are facing in terms of policy. How real is the possibility of a vote in 2023. I think it's more remote now because mm. a lot of the economists and the Liberal cabinet heard this last week are predicting you know, quite a slowdown in the first uh, part of the year, if not a mild recession in Canada. And no government wants to go to any poll uh, with that picture uh, facing them. So it's going to be a challenging governing year for the Liberals. They have to deliver, I think, on some of the promises with the NDP under that deal. They've already got dental care underway. They have to make more steps on that front. Pharmacare will be another piece. And Jagmeet Singh is holding their feet to the fire on health care. But look, that's also going to be resolved. But honestly, I think the economic challenge of making sure Canadians feel confident about their economic prospects mm -hmm. and their household uh, budgets and managing 
the, the difficulties of inflation and high interest rates, that's a huge governing challenge for them this year. But I don't see an election right now. The polls certainly wouldn't lead them to call one. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because there are these pitfalls for the government, because as Tonda was outlining, here we have the NDP holding the, the Liberals' feet to the fire when it comes to certainly pharmacare, uh, the provinces asking for more money with Medicare, but at the same time, you have the Bank of Canada essentially warning us that the, the, the economic times ahead are going to be rough. So talk to us about the pitfalls that the Trudeau Liberals face going into this year. Well, we'll have a test pretty soon, which will be the federal budget. The NDP has said that they want some new measures in the federal budget, and this will be a test for their the confidence agreement they had with the Liberal government. And then Tonda talked about uh, pharmacare. I would add to that unemployment insurance uh, program. They want some reforms in that, make it more a little bit more flexible if people lose their job. Uh, but for sure, uh, this is going to be a test. But I also agree with Tonda. There's no uh, confluence of interest within the three uh, opposition parties to defeat the government. And the Prime Minister Trudeau has said that he doesn't want an election in 2023. And this time, I do believe that <laughs> <laughs> he's saying the, the, the truth about that. There's no interest for anybody to go to the polls this uh, this year. Still, though, this is, <clears throat> with or without an election, 2023 will be very important, at the very least, in terms of building or perhaps tearing away yeah. at the government's reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us a bit of uh, the challenge here, because, again, there are all these huge financial demands and program demands on, on being mm -hmm. made of the government. But at the same time, we know, as we heard from Christian Freeland, that the cupboard is bare. Well, look, the cupboard's not entirely bare. I mean, they still have room to borrow if they need to finance some things, some targeted measures. But I think that increasingly, one of the things the government ha is challenged by is to show Canadians that government works, that their services are mm. delivered, that government, big government, this is a big government, you know, liberal governing party and they believe in it and they've tried to insist that Canadians have seen through the pandemic how government can be a source of good and help people through hard times. If there's a looming recession, we'll be able to target the yeah. needy. But they've struggled to deliver on frontline services that they're responsible for, whether it is, you know, passports, whether it is, uh, I think, more broadly speaking, just being quick on the uptake to get things done. Immigration is a big one. There's yeah. backlogs in immigration. There's backlogs mm. all over the place. So. That's a that's a big piece of the puzzle for them. They have to go into, if they want to go into an election year, having shown some economic management skills, they also have to show some basic competency skills. And I think right now they're they're challenged by that. Mm -hmm. yeah. They don't have a good rep. Yeah, I would agree with that. Since the Liberals came to power in 2015, they've been consumed by international events. Donald Trump arrived, we had the pandemic, the war in Ukraine. So they put a little less uh, probably efforts into the domestic issues. Now it's coming back and biting mm -hmm. them uh, on the tail. So they have to show some competence in delivering the goods for Canadians. As and it's not just service, you know, services, frontline services like a passport or you're accepting people as permanent residents. It's even things like, you know, dealing with issues like medical assistance and mm -hmm. dying, you mm -hmm. know, like get it done. Get those things through. Gun control is another huge issue for them. They have messed up the rollout of a big signature promise from the campaign, which was to deal with assault-style weapons, handgun bans and assault-style weapons. It's a disaster, that legislative initiative. And it's also angered people who otherwise would be their partners in either the bloc or the NDP Absolutely. on gun control. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that uh, they, have to, they have to step up and 
and be better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one other potential pitfall, and this comes out of your interview you had with the Prime Minister, yeah. uh, because you, you spent a lot of time talking to him about the notwithstanding clause, which, of course, he said to you uh, that he was considering bringing it to the Supreme Court to, to, to perhaps define when it can and cannot be used, which has uh, earned him some pushback in Quebec from the Quebec Premier. Given how important the province is for this government to, to and its hold on power, how is that issue playing out for Trudeau? Well, surprisingly, when I, write the, when I wrote that story, uh, I got a lot of emails from readers. The usual suspects were decrying what Mr. Trudeau was saying, but others were more re reflective about it. And I think Mr. Trudeau marked some points. Uh, people who reflect upon the issues, you know, in, in a very profound way will come to the same conclusion as the Prime Minister. That is, that the notwithstanding clause is being trivialized. We finally find the <laughs> correct version in English because Mr. Trudeau used the word banalization in French and it's uh, trivializing in, in English. And I think he marked, uh, scored a lot of points, political points on that issue. And I don't think that his arguments can be uh, countered properly by the uh, uh, um, Coalition Avenir Québec government in Quebec. They could not argue on the basis of what Mr. Trudeau argued. And sooner or later, that mm -hmm. affair, that issue will be going to the Supreme Court, whether it's a mm -hmm. reference or Bill 21, you know, on, on laïcité in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And that we're, we're expecting a decision on the Court of Appeal this spring, which means that as we say, it will be in the it's, front of the Supreme Court of Canada. And it's not just an issue for Quebec any longer. And I think no. that's mm -hmm. why Trudeau's scoring yeah. points with it, right? Yeah. Like it was it became a very big issue in Ontario when Doug Ford suggested he would opt out of the, the right Charter of Rights for uh, legislating, you know, against strikers. Uh, mm. it's, it's, it's not just an issue for Ontario, it's also an issue. What would Daniel Smith, a Premier Daniel Smith, do with uh, that clause in Alberta trying to opt out of federal legislation? So, look, I think suddenly, Trudeau, you know, and arguably he should have stepped up earlier and staked a claim on that. But what he's trying to do is say these things can, should, in a democracy, go be legislated by parliaments, be litigated in courts, a decision rendered on courts, and then you go back and decide, okay, given that decision, and, then we should opt out. But if you're going to say, we're just not going to get involved in this, we're just going to completely exempt our legislation from any judicial review, mm -hmm. that's not on. And yeah, Michael, yeah. if I may say quickly, Mr. Trudeau made a point that no leader made before. He said he's worried that it could be used with the rise of populism in some areas of the world. Uh, would the populist government come to power and use it in a very a bad way like we've seen with Doug Ford in, in Ontario. Um, so Mr. Trudeau, I think, mm -hmm. uh, explained it properly, his thinking, and you mentioned that I had an interview with him. We spent a third of the interview on the notwithstanding class. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. notwithstanding other subjects. <laughs> <laughs> as, as I read in the final piece. Uh, listen, we're quickly running out of time here, but you know, as we talk about the challenges that still lie before this government, I think we, we, we need to spend a little bit of time as well uh, talking about Pierre Paulier, because the Conservatives, mm -hmm. according to the latest polls, they, they are leading right now by a few points over the Liberals. Talk to me about what you make of Pierre Paulier's argument and the kind of traction it's getting across the country. Well, he's being smart politically to take a line that has some resonance right now. The line that everything feels broken uh, is having some resonance given some of the things we talked about in terms of the challenges of delivering services. Um, it's exaggerated, it's hyperbole, but it works as a political message. But I just, it's interesting to me that he's got a kind of somewhat single-minded focus on um, inflation uh, and interest rates to the detriment of the 
conservatives' pre presence on other issues. You don't hear them talking about Canada-U.S. relations. Mm -hmm. We don't have a clue what they're going to do on the environment and climate change, nor do we have a clue about what they really think about the privatization or the potential slippery slope towards privatization of healthcare. They're absent on those issues. So politically messaging-wise, it's smart, it's catchy, it, it, it kind of appeals to people. But, you know, I note that, you know, the conservatives as a party are, are uh, higher than the liberals in the polls right now. But Mr. Polyev's own negatives are also way down and, or I guess his negatives are up. People are disapproving <laughs> of him mm -hmm. in the same way much so that they are of Prime Minister Trudeau right now. He's also struggling. Personally, the two men are rubbing Canadians wrong, but their mm -hmm. parties, the, re the reflection in the part party's approval shows the conservatives are doing something right. Mm -hmm. Joe Denis, you got a minute here. Yeah, oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I think Mr. <laughs> uh, Mr. Poliev has decided that the ballot question will be the economy and the rise of cost of living. And yeah. the way he frames it, he's trying to woo supporters, traditional supporters of the NDP or center-right liberals mm -hmm. by talking about the cost of living, the rent, the cost of buying groceries, filling up your car. It's everyday uh, daily life of uh, issues that Canadians are facing with. So he's trying to broaden the tent in a way by focusing on the economy and the cost of living. We'll see if it pays off in the next federal election. Okay, well, we have just started. So we are watching very, very closely. I, I loved how you cringe at that. Uh, but for now, John Dejol, Denis, really nice to have you both back in studio. Thank so you nice for this. So nice to be back. Nice to be back. Yeah. And that is our program for this evening. I'm Michael Serapio. And for everyone here at CPAC, thank you for joining us. We'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you.